0: Chapter twenty four of the Hidden Hand This Librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Bridget The Hidden Hand by EDEN Southworth Chapter twenty four CAPITOLA's MOTHER A woman like a dewdrop, she was purer than the purest, and her noble heart the noblest, yes, and her sure faith the surest. And her eyes were dark and humid, like the depth in depth of lustre, hid in the hair bell while her tresses, sunnier than the wild grapes cluster, Gushed in raven-tinted plenty down her cheeks rose-tinted marble. Then her voice is music. Call it the well's bubbling, the bird's warble. Browning Cap? Sir? What the blazes is the matter with you? What the blazes? You better say what the dust and ashes. I'm bored to death. I'm blue as indigo. There never was such a rum-old place as this, or such a rum-old uncle as you. Cap, how often have I told you to leave off this bowery boy-talk? Rum! "'Pah!' said old Hurricane. "'Well, it is rum, then. Nothing ever happens here. "'The silence deafens me. The plenty takes away my appetite. "'The safety makes me low. "'Hum! You are like the Bowery boys in times of peace, spoiling for a fight. "'Yes, I am, just decomposing above ground for want of having my blood stirred. "'And I wish I was back in the Bowery. "'Something was always happening there. "'One day a fire, next day a fight, another day a fire and a fight together. "'Umpf!' "'and you to run with the engine.' "'Don't talk about it, Uncle. It makes me homesick. "'Every day something glorious to stir one's blood. "'Here nothing ever happens, hardly. "'It has been three days since I caught Black Donald. Ten days since he blowed up the whole household. "'Oh, I wish the barns would catch on fire. "'I wish thieves would break in and steal. "'I wish demons run would rise to a flood "'and play the demon for once. "'Oh, yeah, oh!' said Cap, opening her mouth with a yawn wide enough to threaten the dislocation of her jaws. "'Capitola,' said the old man, very gravely, "'I am getting seriously uneasy about you. I know I am a rough old soldier, quite unfit to educate a young girl, and that Mrs. Condiment can't manage you. And—' "'I'll consult Mr. Goodwin,' he concluded, getting up and putting on his hat, and walking out of the breakfast-room, where this conversation had taken place. Cap laughed to herself. I hope it is not a sin. I know I should die of the blues if I couldn't give vent to my feelings and tease uncle. Capitola had scarcely exaggerated her condition. The monotony of her life affected her spirits. The very absence of the necessity of thinking and caring for herself left a dull void in her heart and brain, and as the winter waned, the annual spring fever of lassitude and ejection, to which mercurial organizations like her own are subject, tended to increase the malady that Mrs. Condiment termed a lowness of spirits. At his wits' end, from the combined feelings of his responsibility and his helplessness in his ward's case, Old Hurricane went and laid the matter before the Reverend Mr. Goodwin. Having reached the minister's house and found him alone and disengaged in his library, Old Hurricane first bound him over to strict secrecy, and then made a clean breast of it, told him where Capitola had brought up and under what circumstances he had found her. The honest country clergyman was shocked beyond all immediate power of recovering himself. So shocked, in fact, that old Hurricane, fearing he had gone too far, hastened to say— But mind, on my truth as a man, my honor as a soldier, and my faith as a Christian, I declare that that wild, reckless, desolate child has passed unscathed through the terrible ordeal of destitution, poverty, and exposure. She has, sir. She is as innocent as the most daintily sheltered young heiress in the country. She is, sir, and I'd cut off the tongue and ears of any man that said otherwise. I do not say otherwise, my friend, but I say that she has suffered a frightful series of perils." She has come out of them safe, sir. I know it by a thousand signs. What I fear for her is the future. I can't manage her. She won't obey me, except when she likes. She has never been taught obedience, nor been accustomed to subordination, and I don't understand either. She rides and walks out alone, in spite of all I can do or say. If she were a boy, I'd thrash her. But what can I do with a girl? said old Hurricane, in despair. Lock her up in her chamber until she is brought to reason, suggested the minister. Demi, she'd jump out of the window and break her neck, or hang herself with her garters, or starve herself to death. You don't know what an untamable thing she is. Some birds, if caged, beat themselves to death against the bars of their prison. She is just such a wild bird as that. Humph! It is a difficult case to manage, but you should not shrink from responsibility. You should be firm with her. That's just what I can't be with the witch, confound her. She is such a wag, such a droll, such a mimic, disobeys me in such a mocking, cajoling, affectionate way. I could not give her pain if her soul depended on it. Then you should try to talk to her. Try moral suasion. Yes, if I could only get her to be serious long enough to listen to me. But you see, Cap isn't sentimental, and if I try to be, she laughs in my face. But then, is she so insensible to all the benefits you have conferred upon her? Will not gratitude influence her?" "'Yes, so far as repaying me with a genuine affection, "'fervent caresses, and careful attention "'to my little comforts can go, "'but Cap evidently thinks that the restriction of her liberty "'is too heavy a price to pay for protection and support. "'The little rogue, think of her actually threatening, "'in her good-humoured way, to cite me before the nearest justice, "'to show cause why I detained her in my house. "'Well, you could easily do that, I suppose, "'and she could no longer oppose your authority. "'No, that is just what I couldn't do.' I couldn't show any legal rights to detain Capitola. Humph! That complicates the case very much. Yes, and much more than you think, for I wish to keep Capitola until she is of legal age. I do not wish that she should fall into the hands of her perfidious guardian until I should be able to bring legal proof of his perfidy. Then it appears that this girl has received foul play from her friends. Foul play? I should think so. Gabriel Lenore has very nearly put his neck into a halter. "'Gabriel Lainor! Colonel Lenor, our neighbor, exclaimed the minister. "'Exactly so. Parson, you have given me your word as a Christian minister to be silent for ever concerning this interview, or until I give you leave to speak of it. "'Yes, Major, and I repeat my promise. But indeed, sir, you astound me. "'Listen, and let astonishment rise to consternation. I will tell you who Capitola is. "'You, sir, have been in this neighbourhood only ten years, and consequently you know Gabriel Lenore only as the proprietor of Hidden House, a widower with a grown son, and as a gentleman of irreproachable reputation, and good standing both in the church and in the county. Exactly. A man that pays his pew-rent, gives good dinners, and takes off his hat to women and clergymen. Well, sir, this gentleman of irreproachable manners and morals, this citizen of consideration in the community, this member in good standing with the church, has qualified himself for twenty years' residence in the penitentiary, even if not for the exaltation of a hangman's halter. Sir, I am inexpressibly shocked to hear you say so, and I must still believe that there is some great mistake. Wait until I tell you. I, Ira Warfield, have known Gabriel Lenore as a villain for the last eighteen years, I tell you so without scruple, and hold myself ready to maintain my words in a field or forum, by sword or law. Well, having known him so long for such a knave, I was in no manner surprised to discover some six months ago that he was also a criminal, and only needed exposure to become a felon. Sir, sir, this is strong language. I am willing to back it with life, liberty, and sacred honor, as the Declaration of Independence has it. Listen. Some sixteen years ago, before you came to take this pastoral charge, the hidden house was occupied by old Victor Lenore, the father of Eugene, the heir, and of Gabriel, the present usurper. The old man died, leaving a will to this effect, the landed estate, including the coal and iron mines, the hidden house and all the negroes, stock, furniture, and other personal property upon the premises, to his eldest son Eugene, with a proviso that if Eugene should die without issue, the landed estate, houses, negroes, etc., should descend to his younger brother Gabriel. To Gabriel he left his bank stock and blessing. An equitable will, observed the minister. Yes, but here. At the time of his father's death, Eugene was traveling in Europe. On receiving the news, he immediately returned home, bringing with him a lovely young creature, a mere child, that he presented to his astounded neighbors as Madame Eugene Lenore, I declare to you there was one simultaneous outcry of shame, that he should have trapped into matrimony a creature so infantile, for she was scarcely fourteen years of age. It was, indeed, highly improper, said the minister. So thought all the neighborhood, but when they found out how it happened, disapproval was changed to commendation. She was the daughter of a French patriot, Her father and mother had both perished on the scaffold, in the sacred cause of liberty. She was thrown helpless, friendless, and penniless upon the cold charity of the world. Providence cast her in the way of our sensitive and enthusiastic young traveller. He pitied her, he loved her, and was casting about in his own mind how he could help her without compromising her, when the news of his father's illness summoned him home. Then, seeing no better way of protecting her, after a little hesitation upon account of her tender age, he married her and brought with him. Good deeds, we know, must be rewarded in heaven, since on earth they are so often punished. He did not long enjoy his bride. She was just the most beautiful creature that ever was seen, with the promise of still more glorious beauty in riper years. I have seen handsome women and pretty woman, but Madame Eugène Lenore was the only perfectly beautiful woman I ever saw in my long life, My own aged eyes seemed enriched only to look at her. She adored Eugene, too. Any one could see that. At first she spoke English in broken music, but soon her accent became as perfect as if she had been native-born. How could it have been otherwise, when her teacher and inspirer was love? She won all hearts with her loveliness. Humph! Hear me, an old fool. Worse, an old hurricane, betrayed into discourses of love and beauty, merely by the remembrance of Madame Eugene Lenore. Ah, bright exotic flower! She did not bloom long. The bride had scarcely settled down into the wife when one night Eugène Lenore did not come home as usual. The next day his dead body, with a bullet in his brain, was found in the woods around the hidden house. The murderer was never discovered. Gabriel Lenore came in haste from the military post where he had been stationed. Madame Eugène was never seen abroad after the death of her husband. It was reported that she had lost her reason— a consequence that surprised no one. Eugene having died without issue, and his young widow being mad, Gabriel, by the terms of his father's will, stepped at once into the full possession of the whole property. "'Something of all this I have heard before,' said the minister. "'Very likely, for these facts and falsehoods were the common property of the neighbourhood. But what you have not heard before, and what is not known to any now living, except the criminals, the victims, and myself,' is that, three months after the death of her husband, Madame Eugène Lenore gave birth to twins, one living, one dead. The dead child was privately buried. The living one, together with the nurse that was the sole witness of the birth, was abducted. "'Great heavens! can this be true?' exclaimed the minister, shocked beyond all power of self-control. "'True is gospel. I have proof enough to carry conviction to any honest breast, to satisfy any cavalier except a court of justice.' "'You shall hear. You remember the dying woman whom you dragged me out into the snowstorm to see? "'Blame you. Yes. She was the abducted nurse, escaped and returned. "'It was to make a deposition to the facts, I am about to relate, that she sent you to fetch me,' said old Hurricane. "'And with that he commenced and related the whole dark history of crime conspired in the nurse's dying deposition.' They examined the instrument together, and Old Hurricane again related, in brief, the incidents of his hurried journey to New York, his meeting and identifying Capitola, and bringing her home in safety to his house. "'And thus,' said the old man, "'you perceive that this child, whose birth was feloniously concealed, and who was cast away to perish among the wretched beggars, thieves, and street-walkers of New York, is really the only living child of the late Eugene Lenore, and the sole inheritress of the hidden house.' with its vast acres of fields, forests, iron, and coal-mines, water-power, steam-mills, furnaces, and foundries, wealth that I would not undertake to estimate within a million of dollars, all of which is now held and enjoyed by that usurping villain, Gabriel Lenore. But, said the minister gravely, you have, of course, commenced proceedings on the part of your protégé. Listen, I will tell you what I have done. When I first brought Cap home, I was moved not only by the desire of wreaking vengeance upon a most atrocious miscreant, who had done me an irreparable injury, but also by sympathy for the little witch who had won my heart at first sight. Therefore, you may judge, I lost no time in preparing to strike a double blow, which should ruin my own mortal enemy, and reinstate my favorite in her rights. With this view, immediately on my return home, I sent for brief my confidential attorney, and laid the whole matter before him. And he— To my dismay he told me that, though the case was clear enough, it was not sufficiently strong, in a legal point of view, to justify us in bringing suit, for that the dying deposition of the mulatto nurse could not be received as evidence in our county courts. You knew that before, sir, I presume? Of course I did, but I thought it was a lawyer's business to get over such difficulties, and I assure you, Parson, that I flew into a passion and cursed court and county law and lawyers to my heart's content. I would have quarrelled with old Brief then and there, only Brief won't get excited. He very coolly advised me to keep the matter close and my eyes open, and gather all the corroborative testimony I could find, and that in the meantime he would reflect upon the best manner of proceeding. I think, Major Warfield, that his counsel was wise and disinterested. But tell me, sir, of the girl's mother— Is it not perfectly incomprehensible that so lovely a woman as you have represented her to be should have consented to the concealment, if not to the destruction, of her own legitimate offspring? Sir, to me it is not incomprehensible at all. She was at once an orphan and a widow, a stranger in a strange land, a poor, desolate, broken-hearted child, in the power of the cunningest and most unscrupulous villain that the Lord ever suffered to live. I wonder at nothing that he might have deceived or frightened her into doing." "'Heaven, forgive us! Have I known that man for ten years to hear this account of him at last? "'But tell me, sir, have you really any true idea of what has been the fate of the poor young widow?' No, not the slightest. Immediately after his brother's funeral, Gabriel Lenore gave out that Madame Eugene had lost her reason through excessive grief, soon after which he took her with him to the north, and upon his return alone reported that he had left her in a celebrated lunatic asylum.' The story was probable enough, and received universal belief. Only now I do not credit it, and do not know whether the widow be living or dead, or, if living, whether she be mad or sane, if dead, whether she came to her end by fair means or foul. Merciful Heaven, sir, you do not mean to say— Yes, I do mean to say, and if you would like to know what is on my private mind, I'll tell you. I believe that Madame Eugène Lenore has been treacherously made away with by the same infernal demon at whose instigation her husband was murdered and her child stolen. The minister seemed crushed beneath the overwhelming weight of this communication. He passed his hand over his brow, and thence down his face, and sighed deeply. For a few moments he seemed unable to reply, and when he spoke it was only to say, In this matter, Major Warfield, I can offer you no counsel better than that of your confidential attorney. Follow the light that you have until it leads you to the full elucidation of this affair, and may heaven grant that you may find Colonel Lenore less guilty than you apprehend. Parson, humbug! When charity dribbles, it ought to be turned off by justice. I will follow the little light I have. I suspect, from the description, that the wretch who at Lenore's instance carried off the nurse and child was no other than the notorious Black Donald." I have offered an additional thousand dollars for his apprehension, and if he is taken he will be condemned to death, make a last dying speech and confession, and give up his accomplices, the accomplished Colonel Lenore among the rest. If the latter really was an accomplice, there could be no better way of discovering the fact than to bring this black donald to justice. "'But I greatly fear that there is little hope of that,' said the minister. "'Aye, but there is. Listen!' The long impunity enjoyed by this desperado has made him daring to fatuity. Why, I was within a hair's breadth of capturing him myself a few days ago. Ha! is it possible? asked the minister, with a look of surprise and interest. I was I, and you shall hear all about it, said the old Hurricane. And upon that he commenced, and told the minister the adventure of Capitola with Black Donald at Hurricane Hall. The minister was amazed, yet could not forbear to say— It seems to me, however, that it was Capitola who was in a hair's breadth of capturing this notorious desperado. Pooh! She clung to him like the reckless lunatic that she is. But, Lord, he would have carried her off on his back if it had not been for me. The minister smiled a little to himself, and then said, "'This protege of yours is a very remarkable girl, as interesting to me in her character as she is in her history.' her very spirit courage and insubordination make her singularly hard to manage and apt to go astray with your permission i will make her acquaintance with a view of seeing what good i can do her pray do so for then you will be better able to counsel me how to manage the capricious little witch who if i attempt to check her in her wild and dangerous freedom of action tells me plainly that liberty is too precious a thing to be exchanged for food and clothing and that, rather than live in bondage, she will throw herself upon the protection of the court. If she does that, the game is up. Lenore, against whom we can as yet prove nothing, would claim her as his niece and ward, and get her into his power, for the purpose of making way with her, as he did with her father and mother. "'Oh, for heaven's sake, sir! No more of that until we have further evidence,' said the minister, uneasily, adding, "'I will see your very interesting protégé to-morrow.' Do, do, to-morrow, to-day, this hour, any time, said Major Warfield, as he cordially took leave of the pastor. End of chapter 24